Um, some of the things we've talked about, we're longing for this um, hunger for God, and whether it's happened or not, I love what Meister Eckhart says. Um, he says, the soul must long for God in order to be set aflame by God's love. It's true. It's wonderful. That's what we're praying for. But then I love this. He says, but if the soul cannot yet feel the longing, then it must long for the longing. To long for the longing is also from God. And so I, I love that, a little bit of ease, a little bit of comfort, a little bit of saying, it's okay, young one, it's okay if you don't have it all figured out, but just come close, come close, draw near to the Lord, and he will draw near to you. We talked from, about what John Tyson says, the soil of secularism doesn't have the nutrients for the human heart to flourish in environments like this. We need more from for times like this than our culture has the capacity to give us. And that's something that's been so evident and true. Um, and on, on grand display last year, 2020 in particular, um, how there was so much energy and effort and ideas being offered, and yet there was no real satisfaction in anything that was being offered to us by our culture. Um, that's why we need the Lord and his word. And then Mark Sayers, a guy from Australia, who's kind of like a cultural prophet in some ways. He describes the progressive vision of the world that has been you know, inundating us as we want the kingdom without the king. We want all of God's blessings without having to submit to his loving rule and reign. We want progress without his presence. We want justice without his justification. We want the horizontal implications of the gospel for society without the vertical reconciliation of sinners with God, which is so necessary. And we want society to conform to our standard of moral purity without God's standard of personal holiness. And so there's all of these visions of what righteousness looks like, what justice looks like in our world. We've been told over and over and over again by many different people, this is what justice looks like. And then we have people saying, no, that's wrong. This is what justice looks like. This is what righteousness looks like. This would. And so what we're just saying is we don't want to hear Anything else, we want to silence our own hearts. We want to silence the world around us because we want God to speak. We want to hear what his vision of righteousness is. We want to be like Jesus said in the Beatitudes. We want to hunger and thirst for his righteousness. We want to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness because that's the only righteousness that comes with the promise that you will be filled and so that's what we're doing. We're just really kind of jumping into there. We've already got our next two sermon series kind of dialed in, and it's all going to push us further into getting that vision for the righteousness of God. I'm excited about that. I'm not a planner, so this is really weird for me to have the next few months all planned out. But I feel like it's because the Lord is, is guiding us. But one of the things, and this was kind of more personally, and, and as a church, as a pastor, I felt like there were a few things that the Lord wanted us to focus on first. They come from 1 Thessalonians 5. They're, as for me and my house, we will cultivate gratitude. It's something so necessary, and we'll see that in the scripture, and we talked about that two weeks ago. As for me and my house, we will consecrate ourselves. See that in 1 Thessalonians 5. We talked about it last week. Um, it's kind of serious message. I had to shave my mustache because I didn't feel like I could preach that message with a mustache. It just didn't seem to fit for me. I don't know. I'm weird. I know. Um, and then, and then today we're going to be, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Um, so 1 Thessalonians 5, let's jump in there. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. 
Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. And then he says in this next section, which we talked about two weeks ago, cultivating gratitude, be joyful always. Anybody joyful today? Well, you all have to be, because the Bible says. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Does he say that because things were great in Thessalonica? No, he's saying that because they needed a reminder because the circumstances were rough. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then he says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything, hold to the good, avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, body, and soul be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And again, that last part we talked about last week, the sanctification, what that means, the being blameless, the testing everything, avoiding evil, clinging to what is good, and then the beautiful promise at the end there is at the end of the day, you're gonna fail, but you connected your life to someone who is faithful beyond measure, and he will do it. He will do it. It's such a relief to fall always into the hands of God's grace. Um, so now we're going to look at this first section, serving the Lord. This is what Paul is writing again to the people of Thessalonica. He didn't get to spend a lot of time with them, so I think he was a little nervous uh, as a father in the faith, as a pastor. He wanted to give them some final instructions at, this, at the end of this letter to try and help them say, okay, you know, this is how you keep going. These are things you should put into practice. Um, after what we've experienced together. And this first part, he says, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Now, some of this might be coming because the people that were put over the people in Thessalonica were, were pretty new. Like Paul really, it, as far as we know, only got to spend a few months in, in Thessalonica. As he was doing his missionary travels, he, he would go to a town, he would, he would go to the synagogue and he would preach the gospel and everybody in the synagogue would get all fired up and half of the people would be like, oh, we want to hear more. Half the people would be like, we want to kill you. Um, and he would talk to the people that wanted to hear more and he would kind of form a little bit of a fellowship and they would meet regularly. And in that time, over, over time getting to know the people, he would recognize who um, had authority or who was really getting the gospel and clarity, and he would appoint them as elders or deacons in those fellowships. And they were supposed to basically continue on in the Lord, and then Paul would move on, but he would be able to write back letters, they would be able to interact, and he would be able to support them from afar. So that was kind of the rhythm that he was going to. So when Paul is saying this to the people in Thessalonica, he's probably going, hey, you know those, those, those two people I put in charge? You need to be okay with them. <laughs> they might be new. They might not get it right. They might not be perfect. But I'm putting them in charge over you, and I want you to respect them who work hard among you. I want you to respect those who admonish you. Now, this is a very anti-American thing. So again, where we have to kind of set ourselves aside and begin to live into the kingdom culture described in the scriptures. Because we rebel, right? No taxation without representation, man. 
Give me some tea. We'll see, we're gonna throw that in the river. You know, like, we, we have this rebel spirit, which is, I mean, it's, it's been a good thing. We have this rugged individualism, and in some ways it served us well, but in some ways it's really, really served us poorly. Because if someone, especially nowadays, and I'm sorry, millennials, but this is true of you, if someone was to admonish you, you would react very interestingly. <laughs> you would unfriend them or something. And it's true within all of us though, if someone wants to admonish us, if someone sees something that's lacking in us and brings that to attention, whether they do it in the right way or the wrong way, in our culture these days, we don't receive any correction at all. We just rebel about it, we make excuses for it, or we call them some sort of bad person. Or we find fault in them and so we say, therefore everything they say doesn't count anymore. And it's an absolutely foolish way to live. And Paul is saying, you guys need to be receptive of those admonishings, those challenges that come to you. And then he says, hold them in high regard in love because of their work. So the people who are working for you, and you can think about this, your leaders, whether those are church leaders, hey, <laughs> or civic leaders, or you know, people within your organization and bo your bosses, those type of things, employers. This is a consistent theme throughout scripture. Whether they're getting it right or wrong, you still honor them. One of the key commandments in the 10 commandments, the 10 boundaries that God gave to his people, Right at the core of the Judeo-Christian ethic is honor your father and mother. And then there's a caveat, if they get it right. No, that's not, that's not in there. It's not in there. It's just honor your father and mother. Now, honor, obviously, you have to define that. That doesn't mean you just do everything they tell you to do, even if it's going against God's law. No, absolutely. But even if you were to have to go a different direction than them, you would do it in an honorably, honorable way. We're supposed to honor those in authority over us. There's a lot of humility necessary for that. And we don't do it necessarily to make those people feel good about themselves. We do it because we love Jesus. We do it because he's worthy and he's asked us to do it. It's a way that we can serve the Lord. And it's important in our day and age right now when there's so much animosity built up and so much frustration built up. And I'm not saying that everything is, that our leaders have been doing and saying is right, please, no way. But we still need to be, figure out how to be that alternative community, that kingdom culture that finds a way to honor those in authority over us. And then he goes on to say, live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, to warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. So here is, uh, I asked Dan Riccio, our resident scholar, to kind of unpack these things, and he said this really comes out to disciplining the ones who do anything unhelpful, and also the ones who aren't doing anything that is helpful, <laughs> right? You have both kinds of unhelpful. Ones who just don't do anything, but then also the ones who are doing things that are actually unhelpful and damaging. And we need to admonish them. We need to give them a piece of our mind. There's a time and a place for that. We need to speak out against, stand against, bring correction and discipline. It's absolutely true. But then he goes on to say, 
We need to encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong, try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. And there's kind of this, this, this moment where, yes, we need to give people a piece of our mind, but then he almost goes into a much fuller and longer um, exhortation that we need to give people a piece of our shoulder. And what I mean by that is, is, is so often we come to people and we see some of the struggles they have, we'll see some of the things that they're doing wrong, and we'll just kind of blast them. And though there is a time and a place for that, I think what, what overarchingly you see in the scriptures and even in this little, little passage, you see that what God really wants us to do is lend people our shoulder to figure out what's really hard for them, what, what burden they're carrying and say, instead of just saying, why are you doing that? Or why is that so bad? What decisions have you made to bring you to this place? To then just instead to just come alongside them and say, hey, can you put some of that burden on my shoulder and we can walk together for a little while? And so there's just that little imagery, serving the Lord, yes, there is a time to give people a piece of your mind, to give them truth. But there's, there's, there's so often, much more importantly, to give them a piece of your shoulder, to get your shoulder under the burden they're carrying. Because then, obviously, what'll happen is that in time, you'll start to realize some things it's kind of walk a mile in their shoes and then your admonishing or your, 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 your peace of mind might change a little bit and how you would speak to them and what you would speak to them about. But that's 1 Thessalonians talking to us about serving the Lord, some practical things from Paul there. Um, we have a whole Bible that's always continuing to challenge us and call us to serve the Lord. Actually, the phrase, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord, comes from way back in the Old Testament when Joshua had led the people into the promised land, he had formed them into a nation. It's carrying on the work of Moses, delivering the people who are slaves into a nation. And at the end of it, he sets before them blessings and curses. He says, if you follow the Lord and do these things, you'll be blessed. If you don't follow the Lord and do these things, you'll be cursed. And he said, I've set these things before you, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're gonna serve the Lord. And then you have all this time through the scriptures. I mean, basically, you think about the very beginning. What did it mean to serve the Lord for Adam and Eve? It was basically gardening, right? Gardening and then not eating of that one tree, which didn't work out so good, right? And then you have the very next story that we kind of come across. You have a, you know, a guy who's serving the Lord's building a big boat. And I guess for his family, serving the Lord was not thinking his, their dad or husband was an absolute fool, but kind of joining in the work. And then you have a guy that serving the Lord for him meant leaving his father and mother's household and, 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 and the ways that they would worship and going to a place and becoming a sojourner. In some ways, Abraham was the first missionary, just going to wander around and helping people know what it looked like to have a relationship with this God that he knew very little about. And you continue on and you have Moses serving the Lord meant going back to face his past demons and, and helping to set slaves free and lead them into a promised land. And on and on it goes, all these different ways. And the reason I'm saying this is because serving the Lord has so much creativity. There's so much diversity. God has made you and fashioned you as a specific tool unlike anyone else in the world. And what the scripture tells us in Ephesians 2, he's also formed works for you to walk in. He's formed opportunities. He set things up 
in your life that you're going to stumble into and you're going to realize you're the only person that has been uniquely designed to actually serve in this way. God loves to see those moments when you are able to serve him in the way that he's created you to serve. But I can't get up here and say that if you really want to serve the Lord, you'll become one of the singer people. And sometimes that's the way we feel. If you really wanted to serve the Lord, you'd be up on this platform preaching. The rest of you are just kind of like, you know, uh-uh, so-so servers. And as, I mean, in the scripture, you, the preachers, they're usually not doing so well. Usually God's having to yell at them. But each one of us is called to serve the Lord. And each one of us has to find what the Lord's calling us to do. And it's actually a very exciting thing. A very wonderful thing. Isaiah 58, right here in the middle of the Old Testament, we have this passage, and this is in the message translation, and I think this is just really helpful to help us understand kind of the heart behind serving the Lord. And uh, he says this, shout, a full-throated shout, hold nothing back, a trumpet blast shout, tell my people what's wrong with their lives, face my family Jacob with their sins, they're busy, busy, busy at worship and love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me what's the right thing to do and love having me on their side, but they also complain. Why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? Well, here's why. The bottom line on your fast days is profit. Basically, you're kind of seeking the Lord as a genie. You just, you're kind of rubbing the lamp with your fast to get what you want instead of really submitting to the Lord. You drive your employees too hard, you fast, but at the same time you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think this is the kind of fast day I'm after? A day to show off humility? To put on a pious long face and parade around solemnly in black? Do you call that fasting a fast day that I, God, would like? This is the kind of fast that I'm after to break the chains of injustice, to get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothing on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. I love that. Do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. And then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help. And I'll say, here I am. Amen. Here I am. That's the kind of fast that God is after, that he longs to, to see us. Um, you get onto the New Testament, you have Jesus who comes on the scene, basically representing you know, the, the perfect reality of what it looks like if God were to be here and to walk among us and to serve. He said he came to seek and serve. And what he says is the spirit of the Lord was upon him to, and, and because he had anointed him to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That sounds like a lot of shoulder work to me. A lot more so than giving people a piece of his mind. And guess what? He saw clearly. <laughs> And he did, he definitely stood against, he definitely spoke out against, he gave people the truth. 
but he got his shoulder underneath the burden of the people he walked with. It's so amazing. One of the most fascinating things about Jesus, I think, is when it says that the common people heard him gladly. It was like the people that didn't have their stuff together, the people that weren't educated, they really liked to be around him. And I think that's fascinating because Jesus is God, holy, knows everything. If they really could see who he was in some ways, they should shudder in fear. But instead, the way he came off, full of grace and truth, it caused people to just want to be around him. And I think that's the way Christians should be too. People that others really want to be around. And then Luke 4, Jesus, um, or sorry, and then James 1, 27, um, James, the brother of Jesus, kind of sums up for us real simply what it looks like to serve the Lord as far as he's concerned. He says, true religion is this, to care for the oppressed and the orphan. Sorry, I'm gonna read it to you just so I get it right. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And I think this is it's kind of a joke I always say in our Explore class when it's like we're trying to help people figure out. That's a big part of what our Explore class is, just so you know it's coming up soon, is to help people kind of move through a process where ultimately they're done with those, those weeks and they know what God is calling them to do at this point in their life. They know what giftings the Lord has given them and they know maybe how they can put those into play right now in 2021 at this church or in this city or whatever situation they're in. So if you're not quite sure, if you have some of those question marks, it'd be a great class to go to. Um, but in there, I always talk about how, you know, at the end of this class, if you're still not quite sure, just find some orphans and some widows and start there. Like literally, I mean, you're just not gonna go wrong if you go there. And if you need help finding those, that I mean, we, we can help. For sure. But I mean, that like at least you could start there and you know, you know you're getting it right. And it might be that God has something else for you or something more specific, but, but that's a great place to start. It's a great place to start. Um, so with all that being said, that's the biblical perspective of this. And the way that this has kind of been uh, fleshed out in my life um, really comes down to these three words. When I think about what it means to serve the Lord, what I've discovered serving the Lord is, um, the first one is sacrifice. Uh, we actually kind of played with changing the title. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. For as me and my house, we will figure out what it means to do sacrificial love. But it's just kind of a real long title, you know? So it's like blah, 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 blah. But sacrificial love is really something that we need to think about when we talk about what it means to serving the Lord. And then support, and that's where we'll talk a little bit more about the shoulder. And then faithfulness, faithfulness. So when it comes to serving the Lord, sacrifice. That was a big deal for me because all my life, growing up until I was about 18 years old, I was really important to myself. <laughs> I mean, I still am more so than I you know, want, but I mean, I, I was one of the most arrogant, condescending individuals you could ever meet. My, my brothers, I had two older brothers and they called me the tyrant which is a little strange, right? Because I was small and weak, they were big and strong, and yet still, they would call me the tyrant. Because I just, I mean, I had a lot of confidence, I had a lot of arrogance, I thought I was better, and what I thought 
I wanted was more important than everybody else. I had one friend, um, I won't mention his name, but he, I, all my life I couldn't figure out what was wrong with him um, because every time we'd hang out, he would just start to get so uncomfortable in all these situations. And I realized literally the, what, was, what I thought was wrong with him was actually him uncomfortable with how arrogant and condescending I was being everywhere we would go. And I never realized it until later on. Um, so anyways, <laughs> enough about me. <laughs> no, but like that was a huge shift was when I gave my life to the Lord and I said, okay, Jesus, I want to follow you. That was the thing that changed, like that was the salvation that came to my life. All of a sudden, I actually, you know, was aware of others. Now again, I know this sounds so ridiculous and horrible, and, and it, it really was. But, but I, it was like all of a sudden, someone else's pain mattered to me. And I cared about it. And here, this super arrogant, self-centered, condescending individual, I ne like after the Jesus totally came and took over my life. And, and the next thing I knew, and I look back at this, it's so silly, is every Friday night, when I should be out like, you know, going to try and hang out with my friends or, you know, going to try and meet a girl or something, like, I would, all I wanted to do was I wanted to go hang out with these like, these like fourth through sixth graders. I was working at this church and I was in charge of these fourth through sixth graders. And I just wanted to make sure they had the funnest Friday night they could. And so I would go and I'd round up a whole like 10 of them and we'd go to Peter Piper Pizza. We was in Oregon so they didn't have that, it was something else. But it was like that type of thing. And we would just go out there and I, and I thought it was so fun, I was loving it. To try and help these kids have this wonderful time. And on and on and on it went. I just wanted to give my life away. I just wanted to prop somebody else up. It was like this, this salvation had come. I just wanted to serve the Lord. And whatever they were going through was more important than what I was going through. It really did happen. This shift, this, and now sacrifice was actually a joy for me. I did want to decrease so, so the Lord could increase. And it was fascinating. It was cool. Yes, yesterday I was watching some basketball, and, and I don't know if you follow college basketball, but Baylor's like number two in the country. They're undefeated. They're, all, they're really good and all that. Um, but they were doing an interview with one of the main guys who's going to go NBA. He's going to make millions of dollars. He's, he's amazing. Um, and, uh, and they were doing this interview with him, but one of the questions this guy asked him was like, hey, you know, we, found, we, we heard that, that you know, on Sundays you, you do something very different and interesting. And, and he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because what he does is, is he goes and, and he works at his church. He teaches the second and third graders every Sunday at his church. And, he, and it was just so shocking for me to be sitting there being like, oh, this guy, he's so cool. You know, this guy's so big time. And he's like, he just, he's just talking about how he loves Sundays, man. He just learns so much for those kids. And he just, it's so cool to be able to do that. He feels like it's the biggest gift in his life. And I was like, yeah, he's serving the Lord. He's serving the Lord. And he's actually going to have a challenge because he's going to have a lot of other opportunities to do things. And so he's going to need to stay grounded, but he's serving the Lord. He's serving the Lord in the face of all those other things, and it was just so beautiful to see. I remember one story, too, that was so interesting when this was happening. So I'd gotten serious about serving the Lord, and like I said, I, I mean, I, I, up in Oregon, I was like a worship leader. That's what I did all the time. Down in Phoenix, they're like, you're not very good at it, so we don't want you. But that, that was cool. It's cool. Um, and, uh, and so I, I remember I had signed up to go. They asked me at the college I was at if I would lead this um, 
concert of prayer. We had the music for this concert of prayer. And, and I was like, sure. I, and I knew, I, I knew what it was gonna be. It's, it's basically like senior citizens kind of going there and doing that. And I was like, yeah, man, I wanna serve the Lord. Um, I didn't realize that it was Valentine's Day. And uh, I was invited to this party where this girl that I liked was gonna be at. And I didn't know her very well, but I've, I've been trying to get to know her. So it was like this opportunity, Valentine's Day party. And guess what? You know, same time, you know, like, am I gonna go lead this concert of prayer for the senior citizens or am I gonna go to this party with this girl that I, that I wanted to get to know more? And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I decided I was gonna go for the concert of prayer. And I was walking across campus and this, just to add insult to injury, was walking across campus, and she, when we like crossed paths, as she was going to the party, and I was going to, the, just randomly, we crossed paths, and I was just like, what the heck are you doing here? And I, and, and it was so funny just to go through that experience, but, um, but just, you know, fast forward a couple thousand years, um, I'm married to Brittany, and I like her so much, and guess when her birthday is? Valentine's Day, so it all worked out great for me. But I think about that, so now the Lord's like, you know, I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, mm, I got you, man, I got you. So it's kind of fun, serving the Lord. Because you know, when you're young, you feel like serving the Lord. If I serve the Lord, he's gonna give me everything I want. And it is true, but it's just way down the road, way down the road. So anyway, so sacrifice, that's sacrifice. Think that, if, you, if it doesn't break your heart, it isn't love. If it doesn't cost you something, it's not worship. Those are important things to remember. Um, support, the, this book, Tattoos on the Heart, was super helpful for, for my wife, and then she taught me, um, and uh, I read the book, and, and here's what he says about serving the Lord. He says, here's what we seek, a compassion that can stand in awe at what the poor have to carry rather than stand in judgment at how they carry it. And so this is that concept. He's just realized he works with gangsters in, in LA. Um, he calls them homeboys. And uh, he realized that really what they needed more so than was someone to tell them they're, they're bad and doing it wrong, which they already were very aware of. They, what they needed was someone to just kind of get their shoulder underneath their burden and feel what it meant like to, or feel what it was like to be loved in that way. And then they could see life change. And then the last thing um, is faithfulness. Faithfulness, First um, Corinthians 4, 2 says, the one thing God requires of his servants is they be found faithful. And moms and dads, what your kids need more than anything else from you is they need you to be faithful. What a friend needs more than anything else is someone who'll be faithful. Faithfulness. And it doesn't count as faithfulness until it goes against your desires or will. If I went to that Valentine's party instead of the prayer service, no one would have described me as super faithful. But when you're tired of doing something and you keep doing it, that's when it becomes faithfulness. When you're afraid of doing something but you do it anyway, that's when it's called faithfulness. When you won't gain anything and maybe even be criticized or ridiculed, ridiculed for doing something, but you do it anyway, it's faithfulness. And as Jesus said, that when we live and die seeking God's will and his desires to be done instead of our own will and desires, one day we're gonna stand before him and he's gonna look us in the eyes and he's gonna say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. 
And, I, and whether or not that's a big deal to you now, to be able to hear those words from Jesus, I promise you, please understand that there will be a day where you will stand before Jesus and that will be the thing you long to hear more than anything you've ever heard before. When you stand before your maker who loves you so much that he served you, he gave himself to you, he sacrificed, he shows support, he is faithful to you. And on that day, for the first time in your whole life, everything will make sense. And you will long to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And you won't regret one sacrifice that you made. You'll be so thankful for every time you denied yourself for his name's sake. Every time you got your shoulder under someone else's burden and walked with them. every time you serve the Lord. Um, just to share a little bit of a vision with you. Um, we have a lot of opportunities for you to serve here at the church. And uh, we're gonna be laying those things out more and more. But if the Lord's stirring in your heart and you know you're not really serving the Lord but you'd like to, please let us know. Please contact us. And we can help you. You know, we won't just throw you out there but we can help you get to a place where you feel like you are serving the Lord. But you also don't need us. You can pray and see what the Lord would lead.